This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. The Christian life is not only difficult, it is impossible, apart from God's amazing grace. When we consider how we are commanded to reflect God's glory, we realize that conforming to His character is required, and let's be honest, we can never do that alone. But what if I told you that God has given us multiple gifts of grace to help us conform to his image. Mark Ray will enlighten us today on the gifts of grace that make it possible for us to reflect God's glory. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and has a substantial history with Grace School of Theology, including being an original Board of Trustee member and primary advisor from earliest days. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary, a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Mark will soon be launching the Grace Center for Spiritual Development, and we'll tell you more about that in the weeks to come. But for now, let's listen to Mark Ray as he addresses Grace Alone in our series on A Life of Glory. We started a conversation a number of weeks ago called The Spiritual Life. Ten opportunities to talk about this, and we started a number of weeks back talking about the word glory. We defined that word as the manifestation of God's character in the world and how we glorify Him as we manifest His character to the world. We moved from there into the idea of holiness and understanding that we can't manifest His character, do what we're supposed to do to glorify Him unless we conform to His character, which is a holy character. How many of you feel holy today? Me neither. And the reason we don't is because of the following week that we talked about, week three, and we talked about the word sin coming out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinning, and that sin set us up for this separation from God, that we can't be holy because of sin and because we can't conform to that holy character. We can't do what we were meant to do, and that's to manifest the glory of God, to show him off to the world. And we concluded that week with this question, what's the answer to the problem of sin. Now, we spent three weeks after that, and I promise you this was not planned, but we spent three weeks after that celebrating Easter, which the irony of that is that's exactly God's answer to the problem of sin. The broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that came for you and for me, died in our place, took our sins upon himself, made us a new creature in him for those who believe in Jesus Christ. So we celebrated for three weeks that visible expression of the grace of God. It's an enormous, an immense conversation that we're going to try to compact just at least to get through the beginnings of the idea of grace, the understanding, get our arms wrapped around it, though Charles Swindoll talks about grace as trying to wrap our arms around a blue whale. Grace is so enormous and so immense, so magnificent, so stupendous that we cannot get our arms around it, but we're going to try to at least crack the surface of grace this morning. We're going to define it. We're going to develop it. We're going to expand it. 
We're going to see it on display as we look at a couple of very specific passages that talk specifically about grace. Some of us have defined grace in the past as this, God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't that a great phrase? God's riches at Christ's expense. I've also heard it put this way, God's riches and Christ's expression. That's another great way to put it. We've all heard that common definition for grace, unmerited favor. But what in the world does that mean? Unmerited favor. Unger's Bible Dictionary defines it this way, grace is that which is received without merit or effort. Through no effort of our own, through no work of our own, we don't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't produce it. Through no effort of our own, we receive grace, worthy or not. Grace is that which is received without merit or effort. I love the way Mark Twain defines it. Mark Twain says this, heaven goes by grace. If it went by merit, you and I would be out and our dogs would be in. Now think about that for a minute. They're obedient. They wag their tails. They do everything we ask them to do, most of them. But heaven goes by grace. Heaven goes by that thing which is without merit, that thing that we can't buy, that we can't earn, that we can't possess. It is that thing which is graced to us. It is given to us. I love the way Charles Ryrie puts it. Ryrie says, the grace of God in the New Testament is his unmerited favor in the gift of his son. There's the object. The subject of this whole deal is the gift of his son who offers salvation to all. There's the first part who gives to those who receive him as their personal savior added grace for this life. That's the present and hope for the future. There's the eternal all contained in one grace is for the past, the present, the future. It's for the here and now it's for the eternity. Grace is all encompassing. It is massive. It is enormous. And yet it is extremely personal. We're going to unfold grace this morning. It's mentioned 170 times in Scripture in 159 passages. The New Testament expounds upon it incredibly. The Greek word is charis. The Hebrew word is hen. It has at its base root this idea again of a gift given with no thought of repayment, a gift given that brings great, great joy. There is a physical nature to grace. I saw it this last week as I was cradling our second granddaughter. Her name is June. And as I was cradling her and watching my wife cradle her, I noticed these little feet and these little hands. What struck me was this. When I looked at those long, slender fingers, I thought, God put the bones there. He put the muscles there. God did all of that. June didn't do a single bit of that, did she? Nothing that she did brought that skeletal body into place, brought those muscles into place, brought those veins in that skin. Nothing that she did did that. That was all the grace of God as he wrought her wonderfully. But in seeing that, what became very real to me is this. God's grace is physical. It's in this world. It hits us every single day, every single moment as we look at sunrises and sunsets. The trees, the flowers, the water, the sky, the clouds, all of that is grace. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We can't create it. We didn't do it. And by the way, the oil and the natural gas on the ground that build this town is also there by the grace of God. Amen? And so the enormity in the physical realm of grace is spectacular, right? And we see it every single day. And if you're like me, I take it for granted every single day. The great grace of God that surrounds me, that holds me that keeps this earth spinning on its axis so that all the weather is exactly as it should be, so that everything plays out as it should, and so that God's great plan works as God intends it to work. There is a physical side to grace that is enormous. 
But as grace gets developed, there's also a theological side to grace. And this, we've talked about this before, but there's no, in my opinion, there's no better two verses that expand the idea of grace, even though they don't even contain the word grace in them, coming out of Hebrews chapter 10. I want us to read Hebrews 10.10 first, and then I want to expand on it just a little bit to show you grace in this. And again, this may be a little bit of a review, but I've learned through years of marketing and sales that you got to hear things more than one time for it to soak in. For me, hard-headed takes me 30 or 40 or 50 times. And this, I became a believer at 14, and it took me years to really begin to grasp the idea of grace. This explains it, at least theologically for me, fairly well. Hebrews 10.10, by that will, this is to read together, this is us as a body of believers in Jesus Christ having the grace of voice to be able to use it together. Together, verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Isn't that fun to do that together? God's grace that we as a body of believers can do that together. So let me unpack this just for a moment. The writer of Hebrews says this, by that will, which will is he talking about? If we look back up in verse 9, Jesus says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So first we realize that the will he's talking about is the will of God. By the will of God, we, now we have to define that word we, and if you go back to chapter 3 of Hebrews, what we find is the we he's talking about is the brethren. These are the ones who have accepted the heavenly calling. So it's the body of believers. The body of believers then, and we can take that forward to the body of believers now. So this is you and me. So by the will of God, we, the body of believers at NBC, have been, is that past tense, present tense, future tense? It's past tense, right? So this has already occurred. This has already happened. And what the writer says here is that by God's will, we, the body of believers, past tense, have been sanctified. Boy, that's a big word. That word literally translated this means this, been made holy. Now, remember, we talked back in week two about the idea of holiness, that we had to conform to his character, the character of holiness. God says, be holy for I am holy. And we go, how? This verse expounded grace tells us how that happens. By the will of God, the believers have been made holy. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are holy, already conforming to his character. In your position in Christ, you're already holy. And how has that happened? He continues to explain the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated through Easter, the the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he sacrificed one time, not 10,000, but one time for all people, that those who believe in him have this. And so what he says, Mark Ray translation, by God's will, believers have been made holy by the work of Jesus Christ. You, by believing in Jesus Christ, have been made holy. That's the salvation aspect of it. And it's beautiful to see theologically that you are holy. Did I deserve it? Did I buy it? Did I earn it? No, that is grace and grace abundantly that in order for me to fulfill the mandate, which is to glorify God, I have to be able to conform to his character. I can't conform to that holy character. So what does God do? He sends his son that by the offering and the sacrifice of his son, because of the will of God, which Jesus said when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours, right? So God, by your will, this sacrifice will make my believers holy. You're already 
holy. You're already there. Now, I know we don't feel that way at times, but that's who we are in our position in Jesus Christ. Now, we go on to verse 14. Let's read this one together. Verse 14, again together. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, let me just unpack this one a little bit. For by that same offering in verse 10, the offering of Jesus Christ, once for all, the body of Jesus Christ, his broken body, his shed blood. For by that one offering, Jesus has perfected. He has made perfect for how long? So this is something that's happened in the past that now lasts for eternity. If you ever want to know if your eternity is secure, your holiness has been made secure for how long? So you are holy in Christ for how long? You're holy in Christ forever. Did I, did I earn that? Did I buy that? Can I gain that? Was I worthy of that? By the will of God, he did that and he perfected me forever, made me holy forever. And then he completes it this way. Those, the same believers that were the we in, in verse 10, those who are being made holy. That's sanctification, friends. What that is, is that is now through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, guess what? We are now becoming who we already are. We are now being made the holy people that he has already made us in his position. By the work of Christ on the cross, we are made holy. By the work of Christ's life in us, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we now become who we already are. Isn't that great? That's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we now become who we already are. And it's an incredible thing to see. That's known as our condition in Christ. Let me make it a little more plain. Could you put that chart up there, Jonathan? This is a great little chart. I can get it to you if you want. But this is relationship and fellowship. This is position and condition. On position, the one hand, this is what happens in Christ. This is past tense. This has already happened, all right? So my position in Christ, my relationship to Christ that does not change My position is this. I have eternal life. How long do I have eternal life? Eternally. And it's secure. It's secure because of the work of Christ, not because of my work, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit who works on me to become like who I already am. I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, once I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit, does he unseal me? No. That's the full payment. He's done it. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. My position is gained by the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. His death in my place gains me that. That's grace. And it's provided by the blood of Christ. That grace, that position is provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my position. Does that change? Does my position in Christ change? Thank you. We ought to be shouting that. My position in Christ never changes. Think of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is the son of the father, right? When he walks away with his inheritance, does he stop being a son? He's still a son. His position as the son is secured. What's happened is he's walked away from the father, so his condition has changed. What's the position of the father? Open arms waiting for him to return. So when we sin and we walk away from the father, the father's position hasn't changed. And my position in him as a son or a daughter in Christ has not changed. But what has changed is my condition. Now, here's the condition side. My condition side is not eternal life. It's abundant life. When I walk away from God, what do I walk away from? Abundant life. John 10, 10. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. We walk away from that abundant life. During, when we walk away from him, we're temporarily challenged. Why? 
Because we're now not talking about our position, we're talking about our condition, and sin separates us. And so we're challenged in life because of our sin. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We receive the fruit of the Spirit as a part of this sanctification in life, as a part of this walking to be who we already are. That condition, the substitutionary life of Christ in us is what helps us in that condition and is sustained by the blood of Christ. That's the new covenant in Christ. My blood is the new covenant so that we would have this eternal relationship and we can work on, as Hebrews 10, 14 says, that we work on this becoming perfected in our sanctified life. So ultimately, our relationship, we're born again into God's forever family. Our fellowship, we enjoy the relationship with God and his family. You see the difference? Position and condition, relationship and fellowship. Huge scenario, but that is grace and grace abundant in terms of how it's explained and expressed. That's the theological side. And really important to understand that this is grace personified because none of this did we deserve, none of it do we earn, none of it can we buy, and yet all of it is given to us past tense when we trusted Christ all the way through eternity. Unbelievable. Enormous. Incredible. But it doesn't stop there because there's also a spiritual side. The spiritual side starts here. This is Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. Listen to how it's unfolded in this little, these little verses in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. There's the salvation side. The grace of God does it, right? It's the grace of God that brings salvation. And then I love this part. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. It's the grace of God that not only brings salvation and negates the penalty of sin in our life, justifies us, but it's also the grace of God that teaches us, that sanctifies us, that makes us even more holy, teaching us how to live like who we already are. If you're a general in the army, do you act like a private? No. Why? Because you're a general. You're not a private. So you act like who you are. What the grace of God teaches us in sanctification is it negates the power of sin in our life as we hopefully, prayerfully, led by the Holy Spirit, sin less and less, we become more and more like Christ by the grace of God because it's the Spirit that's teaching us how to live like who we already are as we walk in that holiness. Finally, in glorification, Titus 2, 13 through 14 says this, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The glorification is ultimately when grace negates the presence of sin. And we ultimately become that perfect people in him. So we get the grace of God for salvation. We're justified in him because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of Christ in our lives. We see sanctification moving us toward being like who we already are, holy in him. And ultimately, we will one day, by that same grace, become glorified in him, made perfect, complete. This is unbelievable stuff. So you see, from it just divine and seeing grace in the physical world, we now see it through the theological world, and we see it unfolded in our position and our condition, in our salvation and sanctification. Now we see it moving all the way to glorification, it's by the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, by the grace of God. And we're the recipients. Paul says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a huge statement. 
Because of the grace of God, I am not only physically who I am, I am spiritually who I am, I am theologically who I am, and that is that I am holy, and I'm becoming who I already am. My condition, hopefully, prayerfully, led by the Holy Spirit, is now becoming who I already am in Christ, perfect. But now I want to take you to even a greater expanse of grace. A number of years ago when I was in seminary, I was walking through, which I don't recommend to anybody, it's not light reading, but it was Lewis Berry Chafer's four volumes on systematic theology. It's not an easy tome to get through. But there were 90 pages in there that unfolded this. He called these the 33 divine gifts of grace. The 33 divine gifts of grace. Now, there's a couple of things you need to know. First of all, six things you need to know about the divine gifts of grace, beyond the fact that there are 33 of them. First, these are the work of God and God only. Nobody else has done this. Nobody else does this. This is the work of God and God alone. I want you to hear me very carefully because second, these are given to us instantaneously. The moment you trust Christ, whammo, you get 33 divine gifts of grace. They're also simultaneous, meaning you get them all at one time. Every single one of these 33 gifts is your, this is like Christmas. 33 unbelievable gifts of grace that are opened up for us that we didn't earn, we can't buy, we don't, just laid in our laps because we trusted in Christ. They're on the merit of Christ alone. From the work of Christ alone, that's where they come from. They are eternal, and they're eternal because of the work of Christ. And finally, Romans 11.28 says this, they're irrevocable. What that means is that God does not take them back. Did you hear me? Thank you. 30, I love it when the kids are in here. They respond. 33 divine gifts of grace that are yours and mine instantaneously, simultaneously, and irrevocable, meaning God does not take them back. When I trusted Christ at 14, they told me four things happened. First of all, I was saved. Great news. Second of all, I got the Holy Spirit. Wonderful news. Third, I had my sins forgiven. Fantastic news. Fourth, I had eternal life. And for years, those were the four things that sustained me. Four things. Chafer unfolds 33 divine gifts of grace given to us instantaneously, simultaneously from God. Divine gifts of what? Grace. You want to talk about riches? Here they are. I ought to ask you to put a seatbelt on because this gets really, really exciting. 33 divine gifts of grace. We're in the eternal plan of God. We're foreknown, predestined, chosen, and called. We're redeemed, bought back. We're reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with God. We're related to God through propitiation. That's a big, big word that just basically means the mercy seat of God, the sacrifice of Christ. We're forgiven of our sins. We're joined to Christ. We're free from the law. We're children of God. We're born again, regenerated, quickened, sons of God. We're a new creation. We're adopted. We're acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We're made righteous. We're sanctified positionally. We're perfected forever. We're made accepted in the beloved. We're justified. We're made nigh, which means we're brought close to God. We're delivered from the power of darkness. We're translated into the kingdom. We're on the rock. We're a gift from God the Father to Christ. We're circumcised in Christ. We're partakers of the holy and royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We have a place to belong. We're heavenly citizens. We're of the family and household of God. We're in the fellowship of saints. We're in a heavenly partnership with Christ. We're partners in life. We're partners in position. We're partners in service. We're partners in suffering. 
We're partners in prayer, we're partners in betrothal, and we're partners in expectation. We have access to God into his grace, into his very throne room, and we are reassured by that access. We're within the much more care of God. We're objects of his love, we're objects of his grace, we're objects of his power, we're objects of his faithfulness. We're objects of his peace, we're objects of his consolation, we're objects of his intercession. We're his inheritance. We're the inheritance of the saints. We're light in the Lord. We're vitally conjoined. We're joined together with the Trinity. We're the blessed first fruits of the Spirit. We're glorified. We're complete in Him, and we possess every spiritual blessing. Amen? Amen. 33 divine gifts. I'm here to tell you, friends, this is, this is unbelievable what has been bestowed on us. Thank you. The faith of a child. The exuberance that should be welling up inside of us right now is unbelievable because this has been given to us. And guess what? I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I can't buy it. It is by God's grace and grace. When they talk about God's riches, do you now begin to see the enormity of 33 divine gifts of grace? given to us instantaneously, simultaneously, wrought by the work of Christ. They are ours eternally, and because we're in Christ, we're secured by them. Friends, this is just amazing how enormous grace is. And I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but this is incredible stuff to see the grace of God bestowed on us unbelievably. Next week, we're going to talk about triumph. And if you can't live a victorious life because of 33 divine gifts bestowed on you, what's the problem? 33 divine gifts of grace bestowed on us. So now we've seen it physically. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, you see the grace of God. Amen? Amen. In everything we see. We've now seen it theologically, the grace of God bestowed on us in salvation, in sanctification, in glorification, in our position and in our condition. We see the grace of God bestowed on us spiritually in 33 divine gifts of grace, overflowing, abundant. The psalmist talks about the blessings of God that overflow from his cart. The riches that are bestowed on us as believers in Jesus Christ, it is unbelievable. John chapter 1 verse 16 says this, and of his fullness... We have all received. Is that an understatement? And of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. How many of you have been to the beach? Been to the beach? When you stand at the beach, what do you see rolling in? The waves, right? Do they ever stop? They just keep coming, don't they? The waves keep rolling in. They keep crashing on the beach. They keep washing up on the shore. They keep rolling and rolling. Friends, that's what grace is. It's an incredibly visual example of grace. Every single moment of every single day, grace just washes over us like the waves coming up on the beach. It's just relentless. It is grace on top of grace on top of grace that just washes over us. And it keeps going, right? It's an unbelievable thing to see grace upon top of grace upon top of grace. So we've defined it, we've developed it, we've delivered it, but let's talk just a moment about displaying God's grace. I'll put it this way. You and I have been graced abundantly by God. Amen? We have been graced abundantly. God's grace is on display, yes, in physical creation, but God's grace is on display in you and me. This is a whole new perspective to love God, love others. 
Love God, 33 divine gifts of grace. And out of that, God's grace, that abundant grace on display in me, then me pouring out that grace on somebody else is God's grace expressed and displayed onto somebody else. Love God, love others. God's grace on display in you and in me. That's where God's grace is displayed. And the reason it's displayed, the reason God puts that display on us, that grace on us, is first of all to get us out from under sin, second of all to make us the holy people that he wants us to be, and third is to show him off. It's to glorify him. It's to show God off to the world. Now, here's an interesting statement. 33 divine gifts I own by trusting in Jesus Christ through nothing I've done. Should I hoard those? Should I hide those? Should I put them under a bushel? Should I hide them in a bucket? Should I pack them at the back of my garage? I could do this all day long with you all. (laughs) What should I do with 33 divine gifts of grace? Share it. Shout it out. Show it. Put it on display because who is it that's on display? Is it me? Is it him? Absolutely. What's the answer to our dilemma of sin? It is grace and grace alone. And that, my friends, is amazing. You have been listening to Mark Ray. What a blessing it is to know that God has equipped us through grace alone to manifest His glory in our life, to live a life of glory. If you've just joined us, be sure to check out past podcasts in our archive. And while at our website at gsot.edu, look through the many resources that we make available at Grace, including books and online courses and devotionals to help you in your daily Christian walk. You know, you may have friends and family who need to hear about God's amazing grace. Could we encourage you to share our podcast with them? It's a perfect way to start the conversation. We're so happy you tuned in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.